I look at it, it's, it's not the technology, it's how you use the technology that makes the difference. While you know, Snowflake started out in the data warehousing space, we have customers that are doing a data mesh approach with Snowflake. Hi folks, welcome to HashMap on Tap. Thanks for listening in. It is a wonderful day for a show. I'm Kelly Koleffel, and we are very happy to have Kent Graziano with Snowflake back on the show today. This is Kent's third time. He's He's been with us before. You guys will recognize the voice and the name. We're gonna talk data mesh today. It's a topic that came on our radar not too long ago, probably less than a year. Looking forward to that. But first, so Kent, hi, welcome back to the show. What are you drinking today? Hey, Kelly, thanks for having me back. So today I'm going with my my traditional HEB unsweetened sparkling water grapefruit flavor this time. I like it. Oh, I, I yeah. You and I didn't talk before the show. I guessed I went HEB organics. You can hear the open there. I went lemon strawberry sparkling. Ooh, very good. So that's a, that's a go-to. We usually keep, I think like you, we usually keep pretty well stocked in the fridge with these guys cold. And it's kind of a treat for me because I tend to stick with tea and coffee during the day. So it's always fun to have a nice flavored sparkling on the show. And I know that's your go-to. You, you, you probably down what, four or five of those during the day? <laughs> no, not quite that many. At least, at least one. <laughs> just to have something a little different than mm. uh, just the plain old tap water. I agree. Very nice. Well, Kent, let's dig into it. Data mesh. Just some quick thoughts, and then I'd, I'd like to get your perspective. I mean, again, as I as I mentioned in the opening, I mean, data mesh. First of all, not something that we have customers clamoring to ask us about or our perspective on right now. So I think this is number one, it's a relatively new topic. So I'm hoping you can kind of break down for us your perspective on what data mesh is, where it's being used. What is this an approach? Is it a principle? Is it technologies? Is it all that kind of thing? So that's going to be really cool. I think that for those of us that have been around for a long time, you've seen this progression in the data space from traditional databases, data warehouses, data warehouse appliances, data lakes, cloud data platforms, and, and so on. And maybe also just putting data mesh into context. So it's, it's really an interesting topic. I think everybody will be fascinated by what you have to say. Let me ask you this to get it kicked off. When did data mesh come on your personal radar for the first time and why? Let's see, it was probably about six months ago. And I, I'm trying to remember what, what, what context it came up in. I, I think I might have even tripped over it on LinkedIn, honestly. And I remember attending, you know, probably saw an article on it, um, started having conversations with Dan Lindstedt, the inventor of Data Vault. He and I got uh, mm -hmm. going back and forth on it. But then I attended a webinar put on by ThoughtWorks uh, with uh, Jamak Gagani, who is the woman who authored the original white papers on data mesh. And so listening to her presentation, and then even last week, ThoughtSpot had a uh, one of uh, Cindy Housen's LinkedIn live sessions had her on as well. So it's uh, came up and it was look, looked interesting. Mm -hmm. I had le probably like yourself, had a lot of questions trying to trying to understand it. So uh, we've been uh, kind of digging into it the last couple of months, trying to, to read things. There's actually a data mesh learning site, which I'll be sure we get you the, uh, the URL for that. So we can go in the, uh, the session notes here. 
there's uh, there's a, a huge community around data mesh and people are but people are trying to learn it and understand it and kind of get fundamentally what are the principles and you know how do we apply it in the real world like everything all those other things that you mentioned we yeah. you know, we've gone through this with data lakes data warehousing you know different styles of doing things uh, data fabrics another one that comes up now but it is starting to be we are hearing from our customers about it and you know we can talk about that a little later about it we've got a couple of customers that are in the process of implementing data mesh inside of their organization so it's 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 becoming a much hotter topic yeah well you mentioned zamak as well and i know she's got an o'reilly book that uh, she's been working on i don't believe it's been released yet but we'll try to get that linked up she's definitely been a thought leader in this space uh over at thoughtworks so want to make sure that you know if anybody wants to you know check out what she is is really talking about as it relates to data mesh and some of the thought leadership there we can definitely link that up yeah i think i saw i think i saw on friday actually the first chapter of the book i think has been released sort of in a pre-release thing oh, so nice. people can start looking at it yeah yeah, no, I, it's, I have uh, taken a quick look at that myself. There is some significant detail there, I think, really interesting for anybody in the data space. And I would like to also make sure that we link up in the show notes that learning site that you mentioned as well and, you know, try to give everybody access to that. I, I So my perspective is, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but we, we are as a as a data community we're just continuing to struggle to deliver data products as quickly you know very very quickly fast efficient delivery of data products and so we we have these new things that kind of spring up. okay this is how we're going to do it now and i i believe there's a, certainly an element of that in why you know data mesh is starting to be talked about as a as potential what let me ask you this Talk to me a little bit as you've been researching and really digging into data mesh. What is what is specific about a data mesh approach that's different? And you and I have been around for a while. How does it compare to what we've known and loved or maybe hated over the years? You know, compare contrast a little bit the data mesh approach. And, and is it an approach, Kent? Or or is it a, is it principles? Is it technologies, tools? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I'm still trying to figure out how to refer to it. Yeah, there, there are the basic data mesh principles. So uh, the four principles being domain-centric ownership and architecture, data as a product, self-serve infrastructure as a platform, and federated governance. So there's some basic principles there that we can talk about. But I, I, I'm not sure whether to call it an architecture <laughs> or more of a framework. And it's that's been the challenge it's definitely not a technology I'll, I'll say that just like you know data lake and data warehousing i consider them their concepts there's principles mm -hmm. and in in some cases you know there you drive dive down a little bit there's design principles that go with it on how you design a data lake how do you design a data warehouse and i i see the same thing as of course evolving in the data mesh world as well but you know it's a it's a concept of how we think about organizing the data and how we are going to empower our organizations with access to that data is I, I think kind of the underpinnings of all of this and so from that perspective like you said kelly it, there's in my mind it's been almost 40 years now nothing new from 
the problem statement, right? Problem mm-hmm. statement being, you know, how do we how do we take advantage of the data that we have? How do we provide access to it? How do we govern it? How do we control it? How do we get value from that data? And you and I both know, you know, we've been dealing with that problem for for years yep. and all these different things, including agile and now data ops, all play a role in here of, you know, how are we going to go about solving these particular problems? Yeah. Well, you met, you mentioned some interesting foundational principles for data mesh that we can we can certainly touch on. I think uh, the first one I think that you talked about was this notion of going from kind of centralized ownership of data. You think almost that terminology of you know single source of truth to more of a decentralized model. I think you said domain data ownership. What what does that mean to you? Uh, domain data ownership and how does that apply in in the world of data mesh? Yeah, so it's exactly right. It's it's decentralization of the ownership of the data and the principle here in in the data mesh world is that and I don't disagree with this at all is the uh the data should be owned and managed and cleansed and refined by the people who know the data that are closest to the data. So that's what I mean by domain knowledge. And you can think of that as departmental, right? Yeah. The finance people should be managing and taking care of the finance data that they, the data that they care about. The marketing people should be handling the marketing data. The engineering people should be handling the engineering data. So it is, like you said, it's decentralized. So you're distributing it back. Uh, and one of the keys in the data mesh world in particular is that the data pipeline should be owned by the teams with the domain knowledge. So even down at an engineering level. So it's not just, mm-hmm. I mean, we've always in many, in many years, right, been trying to uh, work with the domain specialists in, in a business, right? In order to really harvest that knowledge, that business knowledge of that data, because they are indeed the ones who are closest mm-hmm. to the data. And this takes it to the next level in my mind, right, is, but not at the same time, not too dissimilar from what I did in out in the agile world, uh, is working hand in hand with what we used to call a product owner, which was a representative mm-hmm. from the business on, you know, what data do we need? Where do we need to get it from? How do we understand that data? And one of the, uh, one of the articles I was reading, it, the contrast to this was the idea of a, of the centralized monolithic single source of truth enterprise data warehouse that's managed by a central IT team. Because in order to build that, it required the IT team to be working with the domain experts. And somehow Mm -hmm. that knowledge from the SMEs on the data side had to get transmitted to the IT team in order for them to onboard the data and transform the data and prepare the data. And, you know, that's always, and I think we've seen this in, in many projects that we've worked on, that can be a bottleneck, mm-hmm. right? Of you know, if you've got five, 10, 15 different departments with their own data needs, how do you funnel that through a central IT department into one massive conformed model? And you know, the classic analysis paralysis and all of that that happens. And so the, the domain-centric focus here, in my mind, is pushing that back out, right? Hub and spoke almost. We're you know, we're, we're going we're going out on the spokes here now to see and and having the work done by the people who are closest to the data which 
you know, there's there's always been this desire in the data warehousing world to, to have a data quality feedback loop, right? Let's get the data fixed at the source rather than having to apply all these rules in the data warehouse. Mm -hmm. And this pushes us, I think, closer to that, right? That domain is responsible for cleansing that data and refining the data. And if they're really, there's the domain people, you know, they're working with the finance systems. If they're pulling data in going, oh, this stuff's wrong. Well, where's it wrong? It's wrong in the source system. Well, we own mm -hmm. that source system so we can fix it. One interesting point to make here though is everything around data mesh is angled towards analytics. So we're not talking about a mesh of the operational systems. We are talking about analytics specifically when we are talking about data mesh though. So that's something okay. I do want to make sure we're clear on that. Now that, that that's a great point. So let's set for purposes of data mesh, this data mesh discussion, your transactional OLTP system and the operational analytics that you're you're dealing with there coming right off of your, let's say your ERP or something like that. This data mesh really focused on the analytics side. How can I make better data-driven decisions with the data that's being generated by those source systems and the combination of those source source systems? Yeah. So, you know, how, how do I onboard it? How do I how do I make yeah. it discoverable? How do I make it usable? And that leads to the next pillar, which is data as a product. Can I add, before you get into that, because yeah. that one's a really interesting too. I, I want to go back though on this domain data ownership, because I feel like when I when I look at what encapsulates some of these, as you said, these core principles of data mesh, I, I feel like, again, there's there's nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, a lot of this stuff we've talked about, when I look at, you know, maybe some of the more successful data governance, data cataloging initiatives that companies have undertaken, where those have succeeded, where they've not succeeded, where they have succeeded is when data ownership and the ownership of that type of initiative is pushed to the domain. The folks who, as you said, know the finance data, know the HR data, know that operational data, where they failed is where you, know, you try to be all things to all people and, and those domain owners are not there really leading that data quality and, and what data really means to them as a within their business. So to me, again, that's a little, it's a applying it into this data mesh, one of the core principles, but it seems to me that domain data ownership has been around for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, absolutely. It's like, whether we call it data stewards from the data mm -hmm. governance world yeah. or, pro or product owners from the agile world. And even back to Bill Inman's original treatise on data warehousing, he talked about it being subject area focused. Well, mm. subject area, domain, it is the same thing. It's, I think what's different is the approach and the emphasis on it as to be successful, this is the way you need to organize. And one of our uh, customers, Flexport, just recently did a a webinar about their implementation of data mesh as they're starting their data mesh journey. And he made a really interesting comment. He said it is a socio-technical problem. And I, I liked that particular phrase. It's, it's not just about technology. You know, there's obviously going to be technology involved in how mm -hmm. we actually implement it and make it happen. But the the socio aspect of it, it's the it's the cultural aspect and the organizational aspect this has to be in my mind has to be a top-down thing from the organization mm -hmm. if we're going to organize this way that the domains have to be given the mandate 
this is your data, you're responsible for it. You now have ownership over how we get to it, what it looks like, what the quality is. It's not the IT department's, central IT's not, it's not their problem now. If the data, if you say the data is bad, well, you own the data, you're the data steward, you are responsible for making that data good so that the rest of us can use it. Hence data as a product now, right? Be careful what you wish for though, right? Because it's, it, yeah, you're putting a lot of responsibility and I think there's still a lot of work to be done here. In fact, you mentioned, Kent, you talked about, and we don't have to get into it now, but you talked about the domain owning at that level, even some of the data pipelines. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's, that's one of the principles in data mesh yes. is the pipelines are owned by the domain team. And that's uh yeah be careful what you ask for here because we're pushing to me part of this you know with data you're pushing it to the domain i mean there's 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 no just voila everything's perfect and and works right so how what what do you still on this domain data ownership i mean that to me and i maybe my mind is jumping to how is this going to work technically and architecturally which probably we won't talk too much about yeah, right you, now, you but, and i both go to the same place <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that just seems like there's still going to be some work here. That's not a magic eight ball that you just plug in and it and it goes to town and works, right? Absolutely. I mean, you go through the whole the whole gamut of of the principles here, including the self service aspects. But the thing that uh, I saw in this uh, the webinar I attended here that Flexport did is they made a call and said, "Well, we're going to standardize." We're going to standardize on Snowflake and DBT. And so they have a, uh, each of the teams is going to have an, a, basically have to have a data engineer and the data engineer has to know how to use DBT because we're going to standardize and, you know, not, and that may be contrary to what the data mesh community is going for with the decentralization. It's like, okay, each domain team should be able to pick the tools and technologies they want to use to achieve their goal. And I think that that's, you know, that goes back even farther to our EII days and virtualization. It's like just, you know, the data is wherever the data is, but we're going to put it together in some sort of a, a framework. You mentioned data catalogs, something that's going to allow everyone to have access to it, but we really shouldn't be concerned with the, the specific technologies that any particular data set or data team is using. And I think that that's where we potentially as a, as large organizations are going to have a challenge because you really don't want, in my mind, this is you know, my opinion here for sure. You don't want to have 15 domain teams using 15 different tools. And that means 15 different licenses for the organization to manage. Mm -hmm. And unless you're all doing open source, which, you know, that's a whole, a whole nother can of worms, right? It's like, you could all be working open source. So you don't have the licensing issues, uh, but you have to do a lot of engineering and, you know, how much knowledge do your domain teams need in order to be successful? And if we're going to achieve this goal of self-service, this is where things like templates come in and mm -hmm. automation and automation frameworks. And that's, yeah, now we're getting down into the, okay, well, how do you actually make this happen thing? But I think there are, that's the, so that's the technical part of the socio-technical challenge of doing data meshes. Yeah. And me, fundamentally, I've, I always approach things from the, perspective of what's the problem we're trying to solve. Let's start with that and make sure that we're doing something rational to solve that problem. And, and data mesh is definitely what they've, what's been written about it is, you know, there are specific, I'll say organizational infrastructure 
large problems that they're trying to solve. You know, looking at the history of the data industry and we all know the classic stories of failures of big projects and all that mm -hmm. is like, well, how do you avoid that? Well, and I haven't read this part yet, but somewhere in there, there's got to be a reference to agile and minimum viable product and breaking things down into smaller chunks so we can deliver something of value quicker and not having to wait to do, you know, the old classic, what we did 30 years ago, the enterprise yeah. data model, and everybody's got to agree on it before we even start doing anything with the data, right? That we, yeah. we know that didn't work. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we talk to clients a lot about helping them design and build data products. And you talked a minute ago about a fundamental tenet or principal core piece of data mesh is this shift from, or this shift to thinking of data as a product versus, I guess, data as an asset, right? The centralized asset that I have that I build things off of. So this, to me, what you talked about earlier with domain data ownership, talk to me how that date thinking of in the data mesh context, data as a product kind of fits into that as well, because it also goes to your point about agile, doing things smaller, quicker, let's get to MVP, let's get something out that's, that's usable. Yeah, so with the the principle of data as a product, you know, it's it's got to be discoverable, easy to obtain. It's got to be well documented, which we used to call what we call that metadata, right? There's got to be metadata. And the domain itself is responsible for the quality of the data. So when you're in the design aspect of this, the domains have to think about the data from a consumer perspective. So not only are they going to use the data themselves to do what they need within their space of their domain, they need to, I'll say, you know, productize, use product thinking is probably a better term, as they're designing the schema. Again, for lack of a better term, we'll call it a schema. How they're going to make the data available. What data do we need to make available outside of our organization? And how do we make it available in a way that it's easily consumable by others outside our domain that don't have our knowledge. And at the same time, knowing, okay, you, your data is now the product you're delivering. So in Agile, we talked about product owners, right? And in the, in the, in the Agile world, the, the degree of success was measured by usable software. And when we've translated that into the data world, I've translated that into usable data. Right. In some cases, it was dashboards, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But in data mesh, we're talking about the data itself is the product. This is what we are providing for others to consume. And obviously, you know, you're intimately familiar with Snowflake. That's right up the alley mm -hmm. of our data marketplace. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. It's it. You know, you have the catalogs. You talked about catalogs mm -hmm. before. Is you know, discoverable. So somehow that data has to be discoverable and it has to be rational. It has to have enough documentation with it that someone outside of the domain can look at it and go, okay, I'm looking for finance data and I'm looking for, I need revenue. How easy mm -hmm. is it for somebody in marketing to find the revenue data? And that's the responsibility then of the finance team as they productize their data to make it easy for people outside like marketing. To, to find that data when they're looking for it. I, I think that's a really great example, Kent. When I think about the Snowflake data marketplace, number one, domain data ownership, that is being pushed back to 
the organizations, the companies, the individuals that are providing those data sets, they own that data. So to a, to a great degree, that hits that core principle. The Snowflake data exchange hits that core principle of domain data ownership. Then, you know, data is a product. Again, it's, it's not so much Snowflake, and I'm just, this is really interesting. You brought this up. Snowflake, it's not there. It's not Snowflake's responsibility to guarantee the data set quality, the, 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 what's in that data set is that organization or individuals that's contributing that data. That's their responsibility. That's being pushed almost, you know, kind of up the chain, so to speak, as opposed to, you know, dealing with it, as you said, way down the line after it's all been processed and transformed, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and that is, you know, we, we call them data providers. And yeah. absolutely, the product they are providing is the data. Yeah. And so they are responsible for that. And, and that's the only way that this could work in, uh, in a marketplace, right, is the, the data cloud hosts the marketplace. But we we can't go police. I mean, we have no way of knowing where the data came from other than what is in the documentation that the data provider puts on the marketplace. So that metadata, you know, how often is it refreshed? All of that needs to be visible and is in most cases in the marketplace. So people can make a decision. Is this the data I'm looking for? Is this the data I need? Is this the data I can use to augment my particular analytics with? But it's in a very self-service way, which is again, another mm -hmm. one of the principles of data mesh is a self-service infrastructure is uh, we just had a, a webinar about an hour ago with Eva Murray, our, our one of our cloud evangelists, showing how easy it was to go in and, and search through the marketplace and attach mm -hmm. to a data set, have it show up in your Snowflake database and then start running queries on it. And, and that's, I think at a high level, what I see in the principles of data mesh is that that's what we're going for. I mean, the combination of you know, the data has to be treated as a product by the people who are providing the data, but it has to be provided in a way that's self-serves so the data consumers yeah. can get their hands around it and use it and have that trust and confidence in the quality of the data and the accuracy of the data and, and have the metadata there so that they know that this is indeed what they're looking for, that in order to answer whatever the question is they're trying to answer. And of course, because it's in the marketplace, there's no ETL, there's no copying of the data. It's, mm -hmm. it's a single source of data, but that source of data is the data provider, right? It's not in a monolithic enterprise data warehouse. In the case of Snowflake, it's in this thing we call the data cloud, right? And it's, it's there yeah. for people to consume in, a, in an easy manner. I had, uh, had Swerp Jagadish on the show recently. He talked about being automation heavy. And I think about being automation heavy. Snowflake's doing so much behind the scenes from an automation standpoint. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's behind the scenes to me. I don't, I don't, I mean, I know that it's occurring, but I don't have to know how it's done. What that does for me is it gives me a very light operations type approach and you have to have that, I think, to really achieve that self-serve data platform that you talked about as one of those core tenets for data mesh. If it's not autom if it's not heavy on automation and light for me as a consumer uh, from an operations standpoint, it's just not going to work uh, self-serve wise. Right. And under that particular principle, we're talking about things that it's a, that the the platform needs to be domain agnostic, so preferably a common tool set that's going to be 
easy to use, low maintenance, everything you just said, and easily to easy to deploy with a repeatable pattern. So that's you know with security built in, all of that sort of thing. And in order for it to be like you said, a very uh, it's happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know as a as a business analyst or a data consumer. You just know this is where I go. This is the clicks I need to make to get to what I need. How it got there, what's managing it behind the scenes, that needs to be invisible to me. And I think this is getting towards you know our, like you said, everything everything old is new again. We've been talking about data democratization and mm-hmm. self service BI and things like that for for dec- literally decades now, right? And this is a if you will, I'll call it a reimagining of how do we solve that problem and and being maybe a little more prescriptive about it because while some people, I'll say over the years did discern this is what we where we need to go, it's always useful to have a thought leader putting it together in succinct terms and saying, no, th- this is what you need to think about and this is what it's going to mean to your organization if you can achieve this. And mm-hmm. here's the basic principles. When you're making your decisions and doing your design, doing your architecture, you know, keep these things in mind in order to achieve these these business outcomes. Yeah. Hey, how, in your opinion, does uh, you know? I think about tradition. I'll call it traditional data management. This notion of single source of truth, which we've talked about for many many years, traditional data modeling, data querying, all those kind of things. Do those? They almost seem you know, kind of at odds to some of these principles of data mesh. What's your perspective on that, though? Do those still play a part in a data mesh approach and some of the data mesh principles, or or do I have to rethink those to a degree? It's in it's in degrees, I think, mm-hmm. as you're alluding to. In in my mind, when I look at this for you know the domain centricity, do I care? whether finance is modeling star schemas or data vault. No, I really don't. Mm -hmm. Do I need everybody in the organization to be doing data vault? No, as much as I might like it, no. Because if the data is being provided to me as a product, I only care about that consumer view of the data. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a certain amount of latitude now here that each domain team can decide how do they want to organize the data. And that's what data modeling is, right? How do we organize the data? The thing that is you know, at odds with, I'll say, the old world is the idea that it's one big monolithic source of truth. And when you say that, and I've seen a lot of comments about this in the data mesh world, they say, oh, you can't use that technology because they're just a data warehouse. And in their minds, data warehousing means big monolithic, information engineering waterfall methodology takes forever and we never really get there and mm-hmm. i always i look at it it's, it's not the technology it's how you use the technology that makes the difference uh, while you know snowflake started out in the data warehousing space we have customers that are doing a data mesh approach with snowflake you know building separate repositories in snowflake separate databases Organized by domains, one of our very first customers that I dealt with, they immediately jumped onto that because they they found how easy it was because it was self-serve that 
the business unit had data that they'd never been able to get into their old mainframe data warehouse because it was such a bottleneck with IT, they were out of space, all the usual stories. Well, they were able to take that data and, and very rapidly get it into a Snowflake database and spin up the compute to work on it and then make that available to other parts of the organization. And that's exactly what I see in the proposal for data mesh. And I think yeah. some organizations have tripped over it or thought their way into it one way or another. And now we've just got terms for it. But the idea that you would run everything through a central pipeline, through a central ETL tool into one big giant third normal form model, that's the thing that's that's going to go away. And I, I think Kelly, you and I have been through this enough to know that in most cases that never really did work anyway. Right. And so there's it is at odds with the way people mm -hmm. have done things. I don't think it's at odds with the way people were thinking about doing things. And even what Bill Inman and Claudia Imhoff and, and Ralph Kimball, none of them ever said put everything in one place. They did use the term single yeah. source of truth, but they never said, well, don't, don't do anything until you've got it all planned. They might have 30 years ago, but you know, not in the last 30 years. None of us have ever thought that way. So it appears to be at odds with the traditional approach, yeah. but I don't think it really is. It's just at odds with the very high academic theories that might've been thrown around 30 or 40 years ago. There, there's just so much to, to go into that. I probably for this show, we, we're not going to have nearly the time, but I think about, you know, we've talked, we've all talked about across, you know, things like customer 360, product 360. We've talked about how do I do identity resolution across all of these different source systems? And it's just, there's so many things to, to think about and how does data mesh play into that? I was also wondering, Ken, as you were talking and I was thinking about Snowflake in particular, how much does data mesh, especially from a domain data ownership perspective, one of the core principles, how much leeway does that give me to apply my own Snowflake design? Or are we still thinking that like I should have some Snowflake, for instance, design principles, I'm talking about the Snowflake service design principles that as a domain data owner, I would apply those to, you know, how I use compute or how I use storage or how I set up, you know, security, all those kind of things. I'm, tr I'm trying to rationalize my mind. How much, how much leeway is there to provide that type of uh, decision-making to the domain or, or is some of that still kind of from a, done from a centralized standpoint? Some of the best practices that have evolved in the last five years, six, almost six years, I've been with Snowflake now, are around that if you just think about the whole separation of compute from storage, right? Mm -hmm. We have always advised customers to use more separate virtual warehouses. And most of our customers very early on realized, well, hey, that means we can we can have compute for the finance department and compute for the marketing department yeah. and compute for this department and that department or this project or that project. And we can track that separately. And so from a governance perspective, which part of this is, is the decentralized yet federated governance, we've had people doing it for years. And so those principles have evolved. And then the questions inside of Snowflake is, well, you know, how do we organize the data? And I referred to one of our early customers that I saw doing this five years ago, almost five mm -hmm. years ago now. They had, they spun up a, 
in one Snowflake account, spun up multiple Snowflake databases. And the databases belonged to the different departments. And so whatever data they wanted to load, they got billed back internally for that. What compute they needed to process that with, they got billed back internally for that because they set up standards. They set up templates. Mm -hmm. Some of our customers have built their own, and I think you've seen some of these, their own UIs, if you will, for mm -hmm. governance, where if you you want to add some new data into, into the data domain inside of Snowflake, you go in and you put in a request and say, here's the data, here's the data type, here's the department, here's my, my billing code, uh, here's the people that need to get access. And then it generates the database and the virtual warehouses and uses applies a naming standard so we can trace it back to uh, the right department. And so I think you know the standards do need, there needs to be some standards there. I've always been a huge fan of standards and I don't see this as any different. Is there, mm -hmm. in order for us to interoperate, which again is one of the principles of data mesh is being able to provide the data as a product. That means you've got to be able to interoperate. You've got to be able to have access to it in a rational way. Is It helps if you have some standards. So you have some guidance. And, and maybe it's a center of excellence that provides that information to the domain teams. It's like a new domain wants to get into the game, into the data mesh. Okay, are there some fundamental templates, some basic principles that a center of excellence can potentially you know, teach them? Right, mm -hmm. be able to, we'll, we'll teach them how to do it. We're not going to do it for them, but you know, here's the type of staff you need. Here's the skill sets you need. Here's some recommended tools. Okay, as an organization, we've we've centralized, we've centralized, standardized on say Snowflake and, and DBT and Tableau. But you're not restricted to that. If you have the skills and knowledge and access to another technology, you can do that. But just know that if you want to collaborate with the data in the data cloud, you need to be aware of that so that you build the the APIs or whatever it is that's necessary for that to interact. So it's not that yeah. it all has to be one technology, but the architecture as you build it out, you have to keep in mind your goals of the domain-based and federated governance and all of that, that you know, you've got to make sure that you can get that interoperability there so that we can can work as an organization as a whole when we need to, when we need to do a customer 360 and the data has mm -hmm. got to come from two different domains or three different domains, bringing that all together is, is one of the challenges. Yeah, as you look at how Snowflake is set up today, I mean, it has a lot of the aspects that, uh, that data, the, some of these core principles, I think you could facilitate through Snow, Snowflake as it sits today. Even this notion of, Peer-to-peer -peer data serving and consumption, you think about that and you go, my gosh, how am I ever going to achieve that? But you could almost think of peer-to-peer, -peer, Kent, in a Snowflake context, as each peer is a virtual warehouse to a degree. And if I'm the finance domain or if I'm the customer support domain or if I'm the pricing and product domain having responsibility for that data and for the data that's in that virtual warehouse that makes me appear to these other domains gives me a really interesting advantage for data serving and consumption for those data sets that I'm providing. And I just wonder, is the data mesh community thinking that way or are they thinking that it's truly like this distributed peer-to-peer -peer type, type environment? What, what are your thoughts? 
I'm not totally sure yet. I'm, that's part of what I'm trying to explore. There's actually a, um, a Slack community. And so I've been trying to read in there and see what the conversations are. Uh, mm -hmm. And I haven't gotten there yet to see really what the community as a whole is envisioning. I mean, what yeah. you just said, you know, regarding Snowflake, yeah, is right in line with, you know, the peer to peer sharing is yeah. Snowflake secure data sharing. It's built in. I can, I can share data sets with another Snowflake account with a couple of commands, or we can put it into the marketplace, or we can build exchanges, private exchanges between these. Uh, and that's all peer-to-peer -peer sharing without having to move the data around, without anybody having to build another data pipeline. All of that is there. And then we've got the federated governance is another key principle of the data mesh is, is having controls that follow the data wherever it goes. And so the policy-based governance that's that are now in Snowflake automate all of that, right? We've got our row access policies, our um, dynamic data masking, object tagging, all of that goes on the domain data set. And as it's shared, those rules follow it. So even if it's going cross-cloud or cross-region, the rules are there. And so it's being managed, again, by the domain team, but enforced globally wherever it's being shared. That, to my mind, again, fits that yeah. and makes the self-service model that much easier and still with the controls. And I think that, you know, fundamentally, that is what the data mesh world is looking for. I'm see, I've seen a few things. There's, there's a lot of discussion around some open source tools and, and building things that way. And so there's a, a good following within the open source community around data mesh. Like I said, I know we've got several of our, our customers have gone down the, I'll say the data, I'll call it the data mesh, mesh approach. So I still mm -hmm. don't know the right phrase to put on that framework, whatever it is, but they're, they're yeah. applying the principles. Maybe that's the best way to say it. They're applying the yeah. principles of data mesh in how they're architecting their data cloud. And initially, yeah, they're, they're starting off a snowflake. And I back to my MVP is if you under, if you have a technology that you like and you know how to use and you can apply the principles, yeah, why not start there? And ultimately that may be, just part of the data mesh solution for the, the broader organization, but you got to start somewhere, right? You got to yeah. start somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's what we're all chasing is again, we've talked about it over and over, just, you know, usable trusted data that lets me get those data products or applications or analytics or whatever you want to call those things out the door quicker and drive more value from a business standpoint. And I'm, I'm still, you know, again, I'm, I'm, not saying I'm a skeptic of this. I'm just trying to learn it like everybody is right now. And one of the things that I'm I'm still struggling a little bit with in, in trying to figure out, and I always go to, maybe I go to architecture too quick, but one of the things Data Mesh talks about is that the concept talks about no pipeline integration. Is This is, you know, you've got these data products built in the domain. I don't have any pipeline integration requirements. And I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how in the world is that going to effectively work based on where we are today? How do you, which is a lot of pipeline integration, how do you get to a point where you don't see that? And is it because when you're talking about this, the the pipeline processing has gotten to be such a utility-based process that it's just lights out. I don't have to worry about it. Or is it truly where there is not a lot of data moving around, I wonder? I think ultimately the goal is to not have the data moving around a lot. It does have to move 
out of the operational systems, everybody seems to still agree, you know, trying to do, and, and I've seen one, one, of the, one of the Slack messages said very clearly, this is not virtualization. Virtualization is not the answer. You know, virtualization, in my mind, might be one of the steps that moves you there. But in the end, when you're talking about large data sets, pretty much everybody has, has come to the re reality that querying the data in place in the operational system at scale doesn't scale. Right. No, not that, at all. And so we are still, that's why I said this is still analytic. This is an analytics based approach. So, mm -hmm. and that's why the first statement is the domain owns the pipeline. So that's the pipeline from the source into the analytics platform. And so there is still some data movement there, but to use data as a product and to make it as self service as possible, mm -hmm. in my mind, you, you want to minimize the number of times you move that data. And the mm -hmm. number of, because as you know, you, you, could, you could just generate a whole bunch of silos. And that question has come up in the community a couple of times is, how are we not just building more silos? Well, yeah. if, you, if you're doing, if you're building a mesh, you know, similar to what we say with the data cloud, it's like we're getting all of the, the data, even though it may be coming in in a decentralized way, it's getting in one place that's easy to access where traditional silos were like if the finance department had a server and they had their data mart on that server, nobody else could get to the server. That's a silo. And then they were mm -hmm. ETLing all of that data to the big central data warehouse. And so now we've replicated the data and we're out of sync with what's in the silo. So in my mind, the only way to eliminate that is you have to eliminate, if possible, all the extraneous movement and copying of the data. Yeah. Again, is that the interpretation in the data mesh community? I'm still not completely clear on it, but I think that is part of it. Is you know, we're if we're going to be self serve, uh, we we don't want we want to make the data accessible again, data as a product uh, to other domains so that they can utilize that data. Does that yep. mean they copy it out of one domain to another? I suspect there will be people that are doing that, uh, where that's the technology that they're dealing with. And then that pipeline, though, needs to be automated and needs to be, as you said, lights out. And so this moves us right into that very low level of data ops. We start talking wow. about data ops and lights out data engineering operations with repeatable patterns and frameworks and tools that, you know, we set up that micro batch that, okay, if we've got to copy the data from the finance domain over to somewhere else in order for it to be used, say, by the data scientists, that we've mm -hmm. got something set up to automatically refresh it so that the people using the data have the confidence they, they know when it was last refreshed, right? That becomes the question. Yep. When was it last refreshed? Um, yep. and, and did the process run completely? Things like that. But it all has to become, you know, hands off, lights out, and that's the, you know, the DevOps, data ops world where we've been discussing that now for a decade or so, right? Yeah. How do we make that happen? We made it happen in software. Now we need to have it happen in data. And, you know, that's the data ops. And I think that's part of the technical aspect of the solution of data mesh. Does it mean you have to use those kinds of tools? Probably not. Um, but again, you, like you said, you and I get down to that technical level and thinking the architect is like, oh, how are we going to make this happen? You know, how yeah. do we achieve this vision? I mean, the data mesh is a vision of how we want yeah. to handle our data. Well, definitely. Uh, I mean, just so much promise there. You look at sort of 
decentralizing that ownership aspect for sure, because today you look at, okay, is it, you know, the, the source systems or the business owners, do they own it? Does my data engineering team own it? Does my data science team own it? Does my platform engineering team own it? Is it some combination thereof? And then also, you know, who's responsible for it? Um, you know, the, maybe the, the business, as we talked about, knows it better than anybody else, but do, do they, at least organizationally, is, is the notion that they have responsibility for observing that data, ensuring it doesn't break, the overall quality of it? As you said, the metadata management associated with those data sets. There's so many things here that, I, and you said it probably better, this is likely not a technology issue right now in uh, incorporating in data mesh principles more than likely as with almost everything it seems today it's what is this going to do to my process what changes will this make to my process and how do i affect those in a way that is you know amenable to everybody and 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 number two you know the the people changes or the or the responsibilities that are being put on various groups within the organization as i push this domain uh, data domain ownership out really really interesting concepts what uh, any other customers or just use cases that you've seen out there so far kent that uh you've really been impressed with um the thinking around data mesh and and how they're starting to embrace some of these principles um the so Flexport that I mentioned, and I'll get okay. you URLs for this for the, the video. Please. And we just, our most recent uh, Rise of the Data Cloud uh, podcast, uh, there is a discussion on there about uh, the organization and that they're creating, they're using Snowflake to create a data mesh in their organization. Cool. Um, we'll get you that. Uh, there was another one. You know, I'll I'll have to find it for you. I know we had there was one of our uh, media companies that works with Snowflake, and we do have a blog post up on empowering teams with uh, with uh, data mesh built on Snowflake. That I will uh, I'll make sure you have the links for all of those so we can post them in the show notes. And then people can look that up. It it is as you said it's 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 emerging, and I think we we have customers who are working on it that aren't quite ready to talk about it yet. And as yeah. they are, I'm sure you will be seeing that at our various events coming up in the future. Well, that is outstanding. There you have it, folks. Data Mesh in a few minutes with Kent Graziano with Snowflake. Kent, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation as always. Thanks for coming back on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Always, always great to have a good chat with you, Kelly. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks again. We will be looking for your Hopefully uh, travels here over the next couple of quarters and uh, in, in staying up to date. Definitely send those links in. We'll get them posted in the show notes. Thanks, everybody, for listening in today. Uh, reach out to us. Any feedback, comments, we will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap ONTAP page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.